You're listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Osa Fisher. Osa is the president of Aurora Innovation, developing the technology of self-driving cars and trucks and providing the benefits safely, quickly, and broadly. She's married going on 18 years now with two teenage daughters, and she lives in Texas after spending her childhood in Sweden and the San Francisco Bay Area. Osa, welcome to the show. Thanks. So glad to be here. What's your fun fact? <laughs> I was born Åsa Gunilla Fredriksson in Stockholm, Sweden. The name Åsa is not familiar to many, but it is in fact a Swedish Viking goddess, one that likely rode the helm of ships. And it was when we came to America that my parents changed my name from Åsa to what it is now, Osa. Makes sense. And, you know, although I am glad you translated it for everybody else because that original pronunciation was exactly what I was tempted to say, but I didn't want to confuse my audience, but I'm totally making that up. Thank you for the, <laughs> for the lesson because I think names and languages are fascinating. So I always love those little pieces. And tell me if this is accurate for Sweden as well, but I was just in Denmark last month and I learned an important piece of Viking trivia. So for anybody else out there who needs some sort of like cocktail party trivia, that the Viking helmets never actually had horns. That is not true part of history that was an addition by the German opera composer Wagner as part of his costuming, but that really wasn't part of any Nordic cultural Viking history. Is that true for Sweden as well? That is my understanding as well. It is a fun fact for Viking mythology and all the gods and, and goddesses that they had there as well. So no horns on the helmets. The taxi driver we had who shared that piece with us said that Vikings only have horns on the helmets natively in Minnesota. <laughs> the football teams. Maybe a few hundred years later. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So there's fun facts for everybody starting off. So Osa, give us your elevator pitch now. Tell us about Aurora. Aurora is developing self-driving technology that will allow trucks and cars to drive themselves. We have some of the foremost leading industry partnerships in transportation, FedEx, Uber Freight, Werner and Schneider all on the commercial partner side, Volvo, Packard and Continental on the manufacturing side. And together, we are all working to help make our roads safer and more efficient than they've ever been before. Beautiful. And I know that just about everybody still thinks about self-driving cars as being this sci-fi fiction-like movie situation, but it's pretty much upon us, isn't it? It is. It's already here. We're driving autonomous vehicles on the I-45 corridor in Texas every single day. We still have safety drivers in the car, but the trucks are absolutely driving themselves down the road without human intervention. And so we're a lot closer than people realize. That's amazing. Have you ridden in one? Oh, many times. I was just in one last week and actually was recruiting a candidate to join Aurora. And once he took the ride, he was sold and signed on the dotted line. So it's always a joy to expose people to the technology and the sophistication behind what we're doing. 
I have to imagine that's part of an interview process that most companies can't offer. Like, come ride with me and we'll chat in the back of my self-driving cars. If if you're a tech geek and you love all that kind of stuff or just love cars, love sci-fi, all that, that, it's sort of hard to beat. That's a trump card that you've got in your pocket. It's a pretty good hook. It's worked every time so far. <laughs> nice. Now, what's something that you wish more people understood about your role, your company, or your industry? You know, I think the fact that we are ultimately aiming to put cars and trucks on the road that drive themselves, so there's no human driver behind the wheel, can make people nervous. And in my role as president, I do a lot of externally facing work with a multitude of different audiences. And so I need to consider everyone from the general population, my neighbor down the street, to our customers who would ultimately pay for this service, to the government regulators and agencies that need to ensure that citizens are being protected and safe, all the way to investors who care a lot about how the company is performing. So as I think about those different audiences and what it'll take, not just to get them comfortable with Aurora and what we're doing, but excited and inspired, there's a lot of customization to do in each of those messages. And what's a difference that you might use when you personally, we're not just talking about the brand messaging of the company, but when you're talking to regulators, you're talking to neighbors, you're talking to investors, what's a distinction you'd make? So for me specifically, I can give two examples when I was meeting with two different types of people. A couple of weeks ago, we were meeting with a regulatory agency and they cared very much about how the public would perceive Aurora driving down public roads without a human in the driver's seat. For a regulatory agency, what they cared about was our robust safety case framework, the discipline that we apply within the company to all the safety measures, whether it be cultural measures or technological measures. And we took them through real in-depth there. You know, the very next week, I was speaking with a media reporter, and from their perspective, they wanted to know how a grandma or a teacher or a mother or a father might react to Aurora driving down the street. And there, it was much more impactful to talk about how we had evaded a ladder in the road and how we had seen a pedestrian 100 feet ahead and been able to change lanes and slow down in anticipation. And so a much more concrete, explicit example for the general public versus a regulatory agency. Yeah, I would imagine that the individuals that you're talking to want to know that they're not going to get hit. It's a whole lot more, you use the word concrete, examples, kind of literal. You don't want to hit the concrete at any point. So to know that you have that capacity to redirect, that's amazing to think of it in such immediately personal terms. Thank you. Yeah, it is a lot of show, not tell. And we do use a lot of video and imaging to lend proof points to the stories and the examples that we've already experienced on the road today. Absolutely. The case study becomes so much more valuable at that point. Now, when have you allowed yourself to be emotionally vulnerable with your team and how did that impact your relationship moving forward? Yes, this goes back many years to when I was a young mother and had a three and a five-year-old at home. I was also a working executive And I remember landing from Atlanta to Dallas and on my phone, I had two minutes calls and two voicemails from my daughter's pediatrician. And those voicemails basically said, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to my office, pick up the x-rays, pick up your daughter and go to this specialist. They, They need to see her today. 
It was quite a set of voicemails to pick up. I called my husband first, but then my second set of phone calls was to our chairman and CEO at the time and to my team. And I basically said, even though I had a full day of meetings packed, I wasn't going to be there. And I'm normally someone who prides myself on having a plan B, even a plan C. And I had no such plan. I don't even remember what I said. I just spilled out the fact that based on these voicemails, there was anticipation that my daughter would have a rare form of bone cancer. That's what the previous doctor's appointments had been leading up to. And, you know, it's a lot like Maya Angelou says, people don't remember what you said or what you did, but they do remember how you made them feel. And in that moment, I felt so loved by my coworkers and by my boss. And I felt very much enabled to go and take care of my family and spend, you know, it would be 24 hours with a specialist doing x-rays and different tests with my daughter and know that work would be fine and that I was supported in my effort. The good news to how this story ends is it ended up being a false alarm. Oddly enough, it ended up being a very odd spider bite that had created a yellow circle within a purple bruise that they thought had to do with the bone, but it didn't. And so I was able to return to work and normalcy, but there was certainly a moment of time when I wasn't sure if that was possible. My takeaway as a leader is to care for the human beyond the job, right? And my refrain is health and family come first always. And I want to pay it forward because when I was treated like that, I was inspired to remain very committed to the company. I stayed there a number of years and return the favor whenever anyone called me with a personal crisis like that. And I'm glad I was able to be honest and not try to hide behind a lens that nothing was wrong when really my world was falling apart. I can only imagine that after getting that series of voice messages that it's almost like your brain just stops working. Everything else wipes clean. There, For me, there would be tunnel vision and it doesn't matter how important everything else on the calendar is or was because at that point, nothing else matters. You're ready to throw everything else to the four winds. And fortunately, they were, it sounds like you had an amazing team that was ready to pick up the pieces and just let you do what you needed to do. It, it, you know, kudos to all of them and to your CEO for being just so flexible and willing to accept that unquestioning. Yeah, I have a lot of gratitude for that. And I think it has helped shape me as a leader going forward as well. Yeah, that pay it forward when it starts from that strong point is, I don't know how anybody could turn around and give any less to people who are working for them moving forward. Well, I think that that is a great launch point for a 24-hour influence challenge. So how would you also like to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence? I find that often, especially as we're growing in our careers, we want to speak up and be a voice in the room and have a perspective and have an answer. And that can have the unintended consequence of speaking more than we are listening. And I find that the best leaders actually listen a lot more than they speak. And so my 24-hour challenge is next time you're in a group setting, it can be a two-person setting, but ideally more than that. And there's a lull in the conversation Hold your tongue, meaning don't say anything for four seconds, long seconds, one 1,000, two 1,000, and then spend time observing who is the first to speak and what is it they say. And I find it's interesting. Were you able to predict the next step? Did they 
continue the conversation along the same path? Did they twist the conversation or make it veer right or left? And could you have anticipated that? And the insight you get from whether you were able to predict it correctly or not is a good lesson for a leader in terms of how the conversation could have gone differently if you had actually stepped in and not let that person speak. So I find that's a great exercise you can do repeatedly. It doesn't just have to be once in the next 24 hours, but often you you learn more than you think by sitting quietly through that awkward moment. In the education space, that waiting period is what they generally refer to as wait time. And it's so hard because in those moments where there's, in the U.S. at least, we're not used to silence, not in conversation, that's certainly not in the workspace. So when there is that gap, it's so awkward, hence the term awkward silence. And there's almost this frenetic compulsion to fill silence at all costs. Nature abhors a vacuum. Same thing with the vacuum and sound must fill silent gap. And to force yourself to hold back, and I'm so glad you suggested specifically counting the seconds in the sense of one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, because when there's that compulsion to fill silence, that feels like an eternity. And just to give someone else the opportunity to fill it, to see how hard it may be to refrain and restrain oneself from doing it. I love the challenge because it's so simple and it really only takes four seconds to complete the challenge. But boy, those are hard four seconds when they happen. So did you have a chance to try this one for yourself? I do. And in fact, I often do it at the dinner table now at home Mm. because I find my teenage daughters are often monosyllabic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so really waiting for them to fill the gap has proven to be probably some of the most insightful aha moments, but certainly at work as well. I find sometimes it's the quietest voices that actually have the most to say and giving them an opportunity to speak up leads to some of the greatest insights that I've ever had professionally. Yes. And I think it just goes to show also that all of these things that we are talking about on the show and in these conversations about leadership and about human resources, whatever, people are people. And yes, there may be a slight difference in application depending on the power differential and the context and whether it's personal or professional, et cetera, but it really does apply to all people. And what we teach in the workplace is just as relevant at home, not to say that you should treat your children like employees or your employees like your children, but the principles are still there. And so to, yes, do this in the office per the original challenge, but I'm going to do an extension for extra credit for everybody out there. Do it at home and do it at the office. It's a total of an eight second challenge now. You got more than enough time in 24 hours to do them both. So figure out a way to have that four seconds of silence on the phone, at the dinner table, wherever it happens to be personal and professional. So I'm piggybacking on Elsa's original challenge there. Is that okay, Elsa? Yeah, and I agree. They reinforce each other. Being a good, strong parent or spouse makes you a better executive or leader at work and vice versa. So they're reinforcing traits for sure. Yes, yes. I love it. Now, what is the most nervous that you ever got before a presentation or a speaking engagement? And what communication-related lessons did you learn from that experience? Yes, this was very, very early in my career. I was an analyst at Goldman Sachs, and we were incredibly busy. And so I I got some opportunities to present in ways I probably wouldn't had the firm not been as busy as it was. And so we walked in to the CEO's office. The CFO was there. It's probably three people from the client side, me and my manager. And he turns to me. He's like, okay, well, read out on your work. 
And one, I was a little bit unprepared, but two, I was nervous by the titles. I was probably 22 years old and these were people two decades older than me. And my voice quivered and quavered and I I worked my way through the slides, but boy, was it painful. And I did not deliver it in an energetic storytelling fashion like I would have liked to believe that I could have. And walking out of the room, my manager is still one of my favorite people. said, oh, you seem like you've done that a million times before. And it was such an over-the-top compliment that we both burst out laughing. And, you know, he said it was going to be okay. It was a longstanding client. But since then, I've worked on some tips to just help myself calm the nerves because half the time, you know, the content, it's the nerves that take over. And so there's some fun tips. One is just touching each of your fingers with your thumb and holding Mm. it for about a second that increases blood circulation and takes the blood kind of away from your heart and into the areas of your body that need it more naturally. Wiggling Mm. your toes works as well. Doing the four box of breathing, meaning inhaling for four seconds, holding for four seconds, exhaling for four seconds, holding for four seconds, repeat helps a lot. And then my favorite, which is probably the one I use most often even today is I find the person at the table who I think I make up a story that they're rooting for me genuinely, like it's my best friend or my mom. And whenever I start presenting, I look at them directly. I make direct eye contact and I kind of lean into that relationship as a one-on-one conversation. That calms the nerves. And then after a few minutes of looking at them, I can look around the room and it's like nothing ever happened. So all of those are little tips and tricks I've learned along the way. Those are amazing. And thank you for all of them. I'm sure everybody out there was like, I'll take any tips I can get. Please help me understand how to, how to calm those nerves. I like the fingertip touching piece, just the, you know, touch your index finger, your middle finger, ring finger, pinky finger, and go back and forth a few times just to, and it gives you something else to focus on, if nothing else, that literal point of contact. So that's a fun one to redirect yourself as well. And the fact that you mentioned specifically the idea of pick a person and Imagine that they're rooting for you. I have to tell you, and everybody out there, they are rooting for you. Whoever they are, they may not be your mother or your brother or somebody else that you've ever met before. But the beauty is that we have this narrative in our mind that, oh my gosh, they're out there judging me. They're they're like a stereotypical high school English teacher with a red pen waiting to bleed all over my essay. And the fact is they're not. Everybody in that audience wants you to kill it. They want you to be successful. They want, because that means that they got a good experience out of it. Nobody wants you to fail. If they feel like you're struggling or you're nervous or something, that just makes them feel uncomfortable. So they really, really, really do want all of you out there to succeed. Every single person is rooting for you. Unless they're that kid who just needs somebody else to fail so that they feel better about themselves because they never got past being the junior high school bully. But we don't care about them. We're not interested in making their lives easier. Just know that the rest of the room is really rooting for your success. So there's my little public service announcement for the day. Any final thoughts on that, Osa? I agree wholeheartedly. I think people really do want to see other people be successful, especially when it comes to public speaking, right? That's what makes a good show is a successful public speaker. And if we can just allow our nerves not to get in the way, we tend to deliver pretty well the content that we already know. Yes. And you've been asked to speak because you're the expert on the topic. The belief is that you have something to share. So just Share what you got. That's why they're there to receive what you have. So uh, lots of great ideas here. Oh, so tell me about a time when you needed to inspire others. Sure. This dates back to 
college. I was an undergraduate at Yale University, which is in New Haven, Connecticut. And if you know New Haven, Connecticut, at least back in the 90s, it could be a pretty tough city, especially if you're outside of the university campus. And at the time, I had volunteered to be part of Yale Model Congress. That is, for those of you who aren't familiar, a conference that college students put on for high school students. So I was the college students and we're putting on a conference for high schools all across America to come to Yale and pretend as if they were congressmen and women. It's a pretty fun experience. And I was disappointed to see that our local New Haven high schools, who were minutes away from campus, weren't participating. And I felt it was my mission to ensure that our local high schoolers could experience the magic and the mystique of a campus as beautiful as Yale. And so I set about recruiting some local high school students to try to encourage them to participate in the Congress. And it was a journey that I will never forget, more difficult than I had anticipated, but not for the reasons you might think. So what were the reasons? I went to the local high school and got to know the social studies teacher and was able to give my pitch to the high schoolers who met me with a pretty dead stare. (laughs) They were busy and not that interested. And I thought on my first attempt that I had failed. But then I realized maybe I should ask them questions about what's on their mind and what they're thinking about when they're hearing about this opportunity and why they may or may not be interested. And I learned some fascinating things. I thought maybe they didn't think it was cool or interesting to be able to write congressional laws or act like congressmen and women, but it wasn't that at all. They were actually worried about transportation. They didn't Mm. know how they were going to get to the Yale campus and more importantly, home at night when bus service was sparing. And so that was a problem I could solve. I rented a 15-passenger van and was able to carpool students with permission slips to and from the campus. And it was understanding that their needs fundamentally and their questions were fundamentally on a different plane than what I thought they would be that allowed us to start to make a connection. I think the second level of awareness I gained is they needed to get to know me a little bit. I was this random student from Yale. Why should they trust, like, or even spend time with me? And so as I started to share a little bit more about my background, the music I listened to, (laughs) which was not cool, but it was funny. And I got to know them a little bit better, they opened up. And I ended up recruiting a cohort of 15 high school students who participated fully uh, and wrote bills about things that affected their lives, incarceration, family planning, food support, and uh, transportation programs. And of the 15, 14 ended up passing their bills that weekend in conference. And it was just a very special journey for me. And I learned more from them than I'm sure they learned from me. And it's definitely helped me think through how to influence and inspire people going forward. I can imagine that when you have those moments, and I've certainly had them as well, where when we're not getting the original response that we're looking for, we're not getting the enthusiasm, we're getting the stare of some sort, our brain can often go into assumptions as far as what our natural guess is with regard to why aren't they interested? Is it because I did this or because they aren't that? Is it So kudos to you for having the insight just to take a step back and say, let me just check. Do you recall what the question was, how you opened to say, like, was it, a, are you interested? Is it a, how did you poke just enough to crack open the shell and have them say things like, how do we get there? 
I mean, it's so simple. I think it was actually not in the full group setting. So I gave my pitch. I got the blank stares and was about ready to give up. And then I saw a girl looking at me and I kind of walked over to her quietly while others were in homeroom. And I kind of said, what's on your mind? You look interested, but you're not saying anything. And and that's when she opened up to me. And so I think sometimes those one-on-one conversations and mm. lead to much greater insights that actually apply to the entire group. And it is funny, isn't it, how often people, whether they're more habitually the quiet ones or not, are willing to ask the question, just not in front of anybody else. And whereas we may think that that's something that's typically, okay, sure, when you're a child, you don't, or you're in class, you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of your classmates. I can't tell you how many professionals at very high levels are still very much in the, I'm willing to ask a question, but not in front of others. And so to give them that opportunity to even invite to the group, if you have questions and don't want to ask in front of others, here's how to reach me afterwards. Come to my door, shoot me an email. Here's my phone number. Here's my Slack. Here's whatever it happens to be. Oh my gosh, the number of people who will queue in line afterward because they do want to ask the questions, just not publicly. And people like you and me may not understand why. Just ask the question. Who cares? Doesn't matter. The fact is they care. And to give that back door of access to information, look at that. 14 out of 15 bills are passed and all those kids have that amazing experience at Yale of all places that they never otherwise would have had the chance to do. What Kudos to you for, for finding that little backdoor key. Thanks. It's an insight that I've carried with me for years afterwards. How about the it factor? Tell me about a time when you've interviewed a candidate for a leadership role and just thought, wow, that person really has it. What was it and how did you recognize it? Yeah, it happened to me very recently. And I remember as I interviewed him, I thought this guy was born to do the job. And I reflected on what made it so obvious that he was born for this position. And I think it's a combination of factors. It always is. He showed passion and energy for the work itself, right? This was not about getting ahead in his career or achieving some milestone. This was about really loving what the work itself was going to do. The second was a real servant leader mentality, putting himself second and the team and the mission first. I admire that in a lot of people. I uh, aspire to it myself. But being humble in that regard, that we are living in service of others, really spoke to me. And then just a depth uh, and breadth of perspective uh, could speak eloquently across a range of topics and enjoy doing it, right? So somebody who is in their element, serving others and enjoying life for the ride that it is, I think those people bring the it element in my mind. I love that. The nature of not just the servant leadership, lots of leaders know, okay, I'm supposed to put my team first, not supposed to talk about I, but finding that balance, of course, because you are interviewing for a job, at which point I am hiring you. I'm not hiring your team. So we do need to hear some of that. But the relationship that you are able to clarify about how you connect with your people, I think that's really amazing. And the best part of the answer for me was the caveat of, and enjoy doing it. Did you have fun with this or did you feel empowered? Were you proud of them? Is there emotion behind it? How do you connect with that? I think we forget that. We get, especially in interviews, it's high stakes. We're nervous. There's a lot of pressure, a lot riding on this. And we forget to let our personality show up. And if you show what brings joy, 
in that story, in that relationship, in that success, in that experience. I think that's just as compelling as what was being shared in the stories. Am I interpreting that correctly? Absolutely. And I often ask candidates what gives them energy because I find that the best careers, jobs, roles in life, they don't even need to be paid roles. They are the activities and the functions that give us energy. And it varies for every person, but boy, what a gift when your job gives you energy. And that's why you're doing it beyond the title or the paycheck or the press that follows. It's really the energy that it gives you to live life in a more meaningful way. That's so much more a valuable follow-up question. What gives you energy as opposed to what do you like to do or something more generic? But I think you have to think a little bit more deeply I certainly would have to think more deeply if I said, what gives me energy as opposed to what do I enjoy? What are my favorite parts of the job or something more generic that way? Well, finally, we all know that there's been a time that we've wanted to ask somebody for something, but we just didn't have the courage necessarily to pull that trigger. What's the time that you really wanted to make the ask and how did you finally decide to do it and why? How did it go? I'd been married to my husband two or three years at the time. We didn't have kids and we're looking for our next adventure. And we decided on a lark that we wanted to move to Singapore. <laughs> on a lark, sure. Uh, Just spin the globe, close your eyes, points. Singapore, sounds good. Right. So okay. it sounded really good on a Saturday night. And then on Monday morning, we looked at each other and said, are we really going to try to do this? And we did want to do it. But to your point on making the ask, it didn't feel that easy. Both had different careers in different industries. I was in consulting at the time. And there was a relocation program with my company but it was not as easy as here's the date and here's the location, please send me now. In fact, you had to put your name in a hat. There were multitude of different locations where you could end up and also a multitude of different timeframes. So I needed to work through a strategy where I could land on a specific date and location so that my husband and I could show up there at the same time and not be apart for the six months or however long we were going to be abroad. And so I started socializing with my my mentors and confidants on, is this an impossible idea or can I get this done? And I got their advice. So going to a trusted source first, I think is always a good bet. And then as we talked about earlier about making it in service of others, how this would make me a better employee over time, what I would learn there, why specifically Singapore spoke to me as a location, and what I thought I could bring back to the organization after a specific tour of duty. And then one really, really tactical thing that people commended me on for months, if not years later, because you're not technically allowed to pick your location, you're supposed to force rank 100 points across three different locations. Mm. And so some people would put 50 on their first, then 30, then 20, but generally there was sort of a ranking. And what I did is I put 98 points on Singapore, <laughs> one point on the second location and one point on the third location. And the people that evaluated my application said they'd never seen anything like that. Uh, they thought it was p- pretty bold, but it also made a statement <laughs> because I basically said, I'm not going if it's not Singapore. And ultimately, all of those factors came together to work in my favor. I had mentors supporting me. I had the organization understanding that I wanted to do as a growth and development opportunity. And then I stack rank my chips where I could. So all that worked. 
it seems like it. And I can't really think of a more logical option because it wasn't like they were saying, okay, so we're ready and we're looking around and we've decided we want to send you abroad for this purpose. We'll give you a few options, but so let us know of these three, which ones you like and what way you're saying. I want to go to Singapore. If you're not going to send me to Singapore, we can end the conversation now. So don't give me this dumb question about what are my backup answers. My backup answers are I'll work out of my living room or I'll work out of my bedroom, but those are my backup choices. So we're not, I think you made the point very clearly and unambiguously. So good for you for having the chutzpah to ask for the move in the first place and say, here's how it's going to work. These are the two choices and it's bold, but it's like, let's not waste each other's time. If you don't want to take me where I want to go, why are you going to go through all the hoop jumping to send an employee to someplace they don't want to go and you don't technically want them to go either. So let's don't get silly about this, so to speak. Yeah, I guess I knew my walk away. You make it sound easy, but it was pretty nerve wracking at the time. I didn't want to create a reputation for myself that I was overly demanding, right? So it was a fine line to walk, but I ultimately ended up staying. This is Bain and Company for almost 10 years and was a partner when I left. And so to the point of paying it forward or returning the favors that you're receiving, gratitude, it certainly worked. And I remained a very loyal employee for a very long time. And you set a bar at a very new level as well, which is terrific and exciting for new people to watch and learn from. So now finally, what's something you do to create a little bit more fun for your organization? This one's silly, but I enjoy it very much. There are gifts and memes out there that kind of help lighten the mood and help us not take ourselves so seriously. And so I often like to slack people a giphy image or something like that just to stay lighthearted. I will say the first time you do that in an organization, it can be a little bit nerve wracking on how is this going to be received, but ultimately allows us to laugh at ourselves, keep that spirit of humility and realize that while we're doing very, very tough things, we can have fun with each other along the way. So if you see a gift from me or a meme, please know that it's incredibly well-intentioned and I'm just trying to build the relationship at a different level. I think it's so important that we add a little bit of fun energy throughout the day on different levels. It's in no way, shape or form indicating that we don't take our jobs, our content or anything else seriously. We certainly do. We just don't take ourselves too seriously. And Having a little bit of fun energy just gives a little bit of an adrenaline boost throughout the day on the on the positive level, a little rocket fuel to get through the rest of the afternoon from day to day. So I think that's terrific. What's the best meme or, or giphy or something that you've, you've, the most fun one that you've sent or received? Oh, good question. <laughs> we just kicked off peer reviews here at Aurora. And so a peer and I agreed that we would review each other. And so we sent each other some gifts, one from the office in terms of how to deliver a really horrible <laughs> peer oh, feedback. No. Uh, and the other, a, a sort of a feedback meme of, uh, of four women going around the table, giving pretty aggressive feedback to each other as sort of just a way to lighten the mood on you know what it sometimes feels like to receive feedback from a peer or otherwise. Sure, sure. And of course, the tongue-in-cheek version of note to self, here's what not to do in case the little gremlins inside each one of us might have slid at all towards any of those directions. Uh, sound advice, to say the least. Oh, so this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. How can people learn more about you and Aurora? Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. I would encourage people to go to our website, www.aurora.tech. 
If you're interested in working with us, we have a lot of job openings. And so it's aurora.tech front slash careers. You can also follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. We're pretty easy to find there. I guess Twitter is now X. And, and we look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our journey. It's an exciting one. It certainly is. And I'm going to encourage everybody to take you up on that offer. If you're looking for a new career opportunity, check it out. And of course, we'll put all those links in the show notes so that uh, you never have to worry about where to find it. Osa, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. And to everybody else out there, thank you for tuning in. As always, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, don't forget to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more at speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.